Good afternoon, everyone. Glad that you're here on this Christmas Eve at the Vineyard. If this is your kind of first time joining us for something like this, we just want to say a special welcome. Thank you for coming. You know, the biblical story of Christmas really is one of the best well-known stories on planet Earth. From the early verbal traditions to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to the many, many, many retellings of this story over the past couple of thousand years around Advent calendars or around nativity sets and children's books, you know, in countless churches around many millions of meals from glorious cathedrals to small little churches, maybe even smelly barns like that original stable behind an overbooked inn. It's such, a, such an amazing story that we just keep telling it over and over again. We retell it. We want to experience it. And what we're doing is we're actually inviting the living Christ into our lives as we do that. What we're doing is we're surrendering, honestly, to God's unconditional love. It's not just a kind of a time to remember the past. It's not just a time to reflect on like cool things that have gone by. It's actually a time to welcome afresh the living God into the very depths of our being. It's an opportunity uh, to surrender to the love of Christ, maybe for the first time, to surrender to the love of Christ that we see in the Christmas story. You know, for hundreds of years... God promised this day would come. He promised a child would be born to a young virgin mom from one of the smallest, most insignificant, even impoverished people groups. And that he himself, that God himself, would begin the process of reestablishing his authority, his kingdom, among all people, among all nations. If you're like a little bit of a Bible nerd like myself... You recognize that promise. It shows up in the very first book of the Bible, chapter 3, right in Genesis. And you can see it continuing through every story of the scriptures. You can see it on almost every page of the entire book, whether you're looking at the story of Noah or the journey of Abraham or King David. Each succeeding generation, you see the promise that God, he unfolds a little bit more and a little bit more. We see his plan, his purpose come into focus a little bit more clearly. One of the folks who actually summed it up really well, an ancient prophet called Isaiah, who lived six or 700 years before the event that we're celebrating, he said this, Isaiah 7, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Like, the very first line right there, like, it just kind of captures your attention. A virgin birth? That's not like a normal occurrence. In fact, I don't know if you've looked online, it's kind of physically impossible to do it that way, right? Isaiah is saying, one of the ways you're going to know that God is doing his thing on the planet is because the impossible will become a reality, It's such an abnormality. Think about it. We're still talking about it today because it's such an abnormal thing. It's a celebration for those who don't even believe it's true. How many folks do we know, do I know, we don't believe, they, they don't believe in God at all, 
And yet we celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating God coming to us. And then that name, Emmanuel, what a name. Literally, it just means God with us. That's the promise right there. That's always been the promise that God will dwell with his people. It's what Christmas is all about. It's what the presents are all about. It's what the treats are all about. All of the food, all of the shopping, like all of the special sales, all of the decorations, all the trees, all the lights, everything that we're doing during the holiday season, even the cookies and the eggnog. Like all of it points to God being with us. That's the point of the whole story. There was a point in history when God came to us through an absolutely miraculous virgin birth, to be with us. If you skip way ahead, one of the followers of Jesus, the Apostle John, summed it up this way in the first chapter of his gospel. He said, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. By calling Jesus the Word, the Apostle John is highlighting how those who got to live side by side with Jesus, how they viewed Jesus as the Son of God, the one who possesses co-eternally the same essence as God the Father. Those who walked on the dusty roads right alongside Jesus knew firsthand that they had walked alongside God in the flesh. That is pretty freaking cool. Like, let that sink in for a moment. The folks who were there with him, they were right there on the dusty road after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected and they're writing about it years later, they realize, and they probably realized it long before, but they give voice to it. We were walking with God, the one who made everything. And this word, the son of God, God in human flesh, He comes to us, they said, full of grace and truth. And I would say to be full of grace and truth is the perfect embodiment of unconditional love. To be full of grace and truth is the perfect embodiment of God's unconditional love. Why would I say that? Because real love is completely full of both grace and truth. You know how it's not very loving or very healthy, to always only extend grace. That leads to kind of an unhealthy enablement, a permissiveness that produces a really unhealthy entitlement in somebody's life. And similarly, how it's not healthy, it's not love to only offer truth and correction. That leads to like a stifling of, of personal emotional health, not to mention creativity and joy. And the truth is all of us fall on one side or the other. You either offer more truth than you do grace or more grace than you do truth. That's how the humans are. Jesus perfectly embodied the whole thing. All of us are lacking in our expression of these seemingly opposing realities, but Jesus was full of both. And you can think about it, like in how he dealt with so many difficult situations. Remember the woman whom the Pharisees accused of adultery and they brought before him, and Jesus kind of confronts them, the religious leaders of their uh, lack of integrity and their own lack of sin. And then when they all leave, he turns to her full of grace and truth and in the same breath expresses both things when he says, neither do I condemn you, grace. Go and sin no more. Truth. Like he gives her the thing right there. 
The Apostle John summed it up really good in a verse that I think almost every Sunday school child has to memorize. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The word eternal life there doesn't just talk about a life that goes on and 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 on forever, although it does refer to that. It's actually talking about a quality of life that's completely different than what you and I normally experience. I feel similarly. The coming of Christ at Christmas and his eventual execution on the cross is this expression of God's amazing and complete unconditional love. By the way, when John writes, for God so loved the world, I've mentioned this many times before, it's not like a piece of junk mail that you get at your house that just says, dear occupant. Sometimes we read this little phrase, for God so loved the world, and we think, yeah, he loves the whole world, but if you only knew me, he knows you better than Santa. And he dearly and deeply loves you. In the scriptures, God's love is always individualized. It's always particularized. It's always aimed at a person. It's always aimed at you, not just at everything. God's love is perfectly addressed to you. Jesus says the exact same thing right before he's crucified. John 15. He makes this comment as he's sitting with his disciples in an upper room. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus, as a human, knew the unconditional love of God. He's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's part of this community of God. He knows God's love. He can internalize it. It changed all the ways that he related to everything around him. In fact, it took him to the point where he is really even willing to lay down his life. In that same supper, he goes on just a couple verses later. It's recorded, he said, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one friends. And then that's exactly what he does. What we celebrate at Christmas in the birth of Christ is an expression of God's absolutely unconditional love for you and I. It's the beginning of of making all things new that he promises to do, even at the very end book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, where we get this picture of God coming and saying, I'm going to create everything afresh, everything anew. And the beginning of that for our experience is this realization and this welcoming that you are more dearly and deeply loved by the one who created you than you ever imagined possible. That's why I love Christmas music. It reminds me over and over again, starting sometime around Valentine's Day when I start listening to it, that God dearly and deeply loves me, and he dearly and deeply loves you. Let's continue singing a few more of those songs.
One, two, hey, hi. <laughs> um, hello again. You can all have a seat at home if you're watching online. I guess you can lie down on the couch. Um, so Christmas is a time for generosity, presence under the tree. But even deeper, we celebrate God's generosity, him giving himself for the world. And we want to respond to that generosity. We, we want to join in with him. And a really practical way we do that here at the Duluth Vineyard is we receive a Christmas Eve offering and we give it all away. We don't keep any of it for ourselves, for this church. We give it all to a local nonprofit and to some folks, some churches overseas. So this year, we're giving half of the Christmas Eve offering to the Women's Care Center. This is a group that they love and they serve and they support women and children and families before, during, and after pregnancy. They provide the really practical support that allows women, that makes it easier for women to choose life. As one woman said, one mom said, we were still in high school, COVID had started, it was all too much, I was afraid to tell my parents. 
And the Women's Care Center came around them, helped them through this difficult time, allowed her to fall in love with her daughter. That's why we're giving half of this money to, to that organization so they can continue to support women in need. The other half we're going to give to a vineyard church, to a vineyard school in Rwanda. This school doesn't even have a kitchen, but they've already started to serve breakfast to the students because it's really hard to learn when you're hungry. And they want to expand this and to start to serve lunch, but they need a kitchen. So we're giving half of the offering so that they can build a kitchen, so that they can keep on teaching and feeding and loving children in Rwanda in Jesus' name. So I would invite you to give, to right now ask God how he would allow you to participate in generosity this Christmas. Ask him how much you should give. During the next song, we're going to have baskets that go through the aisles here in person, online. You can click a magic button and give. You can give online. That's a great way to give. Um, but again, I'd invite you, ask God how he'd have you participate. Thank you for your generosity. Lost and alone in the darkest of nights Look to the east, yonder it shines All of us here have seen a great light Have seen a great light Follow the star till it rests in the sky now he appears in front of our eyes all of us here have seen a great light have seen a great light
guys just help me say thank you to these musicians there's a lot of hours and practice and just practice and practice and practice if you want to get good in an instrument and I just I love the creativity and the joy that gets expressed when people are actually really good at what they do and then they get to share it with us. Uh, and also, like, if you're online, uh, put in the chat window. Uh, ex- you can express your thankfulness. There's a whole group of folks behind the scenes that we don't really get to see. They're back there in that back booth and uh, doing the filming and making sure things sound good. And can we just say thank you one more time? Would that be okay? Thank you. Awesome. Well, continuing with the story, here's, here's a quote I'd like you to see. It goes like this. It's an exceedingly strange and seemingly ridiculous plan. <laughs> In a world drunk with a desire for power and filled with those who want to take what they want by force, the miracle of Christmas is one of weakness, not strength. It's a suggestion that divine love is more powerful than we think. And I would pile on and say, dude, it's way more powerful than we think. Divine love is so incredibly, it's more powerful than you can even imagine its power. And as I said a few moments ago, this is an opportunity not just to kind of reflect on the past, not just to remember this story, not just to rehearse this. It's an opportunity for you to welcome afresh the Son of God, Emmanuel, Christ, not just the baby, but the one who gave his life for us to welcome a fresh God into your life, to surrender to the love of God that we see in Christ in the Christmas story. In the storyline of the Bible, we see that divine love has the power to overcome every single issue, no matter what it happens to be. The kind of love even defeats the power of death itself. Jesus was resurrected from the dead in a whole new kind of physical body. And when we personally encounter this love, this kind of wild, unconditional love, what happens is it begins to transform every single part of you. There's nothing that it leaves undone. There's nothing that it leaves the same when you begin to encounter this kind of love. The effects of people encountering this we see throughout the Gospels. Sadly, many of us have an idea that somehow God is similar to Santa Claus, we, we kind of do. You know, Santa brings you gifts. You know the story. Santa brings you gifts if you're good. If you're not, then you get that lump of coal, right? Is that how it goes? Even if it's locally sourced coal, it's still coal. 
Did you see the little meme going around this week of the, the hipster Santa, like all my coal is locally sourced, right? The story of God coming to us is so completely different. But we tend to believe that God will be good to us, that he'll love and accept and bless us, that we'll get his love if we're good enough. Now, Jesus came when we were naughty, <laughs> when we didn't deserve his love even a little bit. It's not like the Santa story at all. And when we see in the Gospels, whenever somebody encounters the love of God in the person of Jesus, they are eitherly fundamentally transformed in a way that brings health and healing and freedom to their lives. They're drawn deeper into life with God, or when they encounter God's love, they went deeper into isolation from God. They lashed out at Jesus because his invitation threatened whatever they were holding on to. Either way... When you're in the presence of unconditional love, you can't remain the same. You can't remain the same. God's unconditional love towards us opens the door for us to actually become the kind of humans that he originally created us to be. His divine love is so incredibly powerful that our, that our personal experience of it will change everything. And my prayer for you today, I was praying for you before you got here, and, and my prayer for you, my prayer for us today, is that we would encounter that love in a way that actually changes us. Like actually in the next few moments that we would encounter that. And the way you step into encountering that, it's a strange word, the way you step into it is surrender. One of my, one of my favorite books uh, over the past couple decades was a, a, a book by uh, uh, a guy that I highly admired as a writer, as a thinker. His name is Dallas Willard. And uh, I remember waiting for this book to come out like because I thought this was going to be a great book. And when it came out and it came in the mail, the, the front cover had a picture of a stick with a white flag on it. And I remember I wasn't even actually able for a few minutes to open the book. I just looked at the cover and I just, I, and I just thought, that's it. Have you ever had those moments where like, Something comes in the mail or you get, see something for the first time and you just all, all of a sudden things begin to click. And I just remember thinking, that's it. This whole thing about relationship with God that we strive so hard to try to figure out, it's actually more about surrender than anything else. That we submit, that we surrender to God's love. You know, surrender is a word that might be difficult for us. You might picture like an old Western movie where somebody is snuck up from behind and there's a gun pointed to their head and they have to raise their hands. Or maybe it's a humiliated general whose troops have been beat down by an opposing army and they're forced to surrender before they actually are all executed. Or perhaps maybe it's more personal. You picture being caught in a web of lies and eventually the truth starts to come out and you have to surrender to everybody knowing things about you that you wish they didn't know. Whatever the picture that we have of surrender, it's often not very positive if we're completely honest with ourselves. It, it, sometimes it feels like we're losing more than we're gaining, but I think just the opposite might be true. What if there's way more to gain in surrendering to God's love as seen in the Christ at Christmas? There's a few things that make this kind of surrender difficult. We're making ourselves vulnerable when we surrender. We learn from a young age to not be vulnerable, 
To be vulnerable means you could be easily hurt. So we come up with lots of ways to protect ourselves, right? When, when you feel unsafe, perhaps, we circle the wagons, we shut down the emotions, we close the doors of communication, we cut off folks who could hurt us. We've all done that. I love the way that David Benner, another favorite author, wrote this. Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It's not the fact of being loved unconditionally that's life-changing. It's the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. There's something about that that makes it difficult for us. Maybe your strategy isn't to cut people off. Maybe your strategy is to lash out at anybody before they could potentially offend you, to hurt them before they get a chance to hurt you. Offense is the best defense, right? To experience God's love, you actually have to let down the walls of self-protection and become vulnerable. What if there actually is somebody that you never need to protect yourself from? But if there is somebody like that, that's the story of Christmas. It's also risky because we pretty quickly learn that we're not in control anymore. <laughs> I think back to Mary's response when she realized that she's being asked to embrace an unwed pregnancy, to embrace in her culture an incredibly tarnished reputation. And her response is, may it be to me just as you've said. Basically, God, I abandon myself to your will. I think I can trust you. Another thing that makes surrendering to God's love difficult is that we have to acknowledge that perhaps we got a few things wrong. Maybe not everything we think is right. Perhaps we don't know as much as we thought we knew. I think of you know Joseph's response to Mary's pregnancy. He wanted to step away from the controversy. He wanted to distance himself. He thought he knew what had happened, and he thought there's only you know, there's one way you get pregnant, but he had it wrong. An angel shows up in a dream, you know the story, and redirects Joseph. Apparently, God's behind the whole thing. And Joseph pivots. He does an amazing, strong, masculine thing to do. He pivots and supports God's call in Mary's life. He realizes he's wrong. He changes direction. If we never rethink what we believe, we'll never be able to consider how God wants to change the course of our lives and how he makes his unconditional love available to us. Perhaps you're here and you can actually look in the rearview mirror and see a moment of surrender to God's love in your life. For some of us, I think that moment's in the future. It's out the front window. But for some of us, we're looking in the rearview mirror, however far back for me, I remember my initial surrender to God's love is like 40-some years ago. You, you can do the math. It was the fall of 1919. That puts it in perspective, right? 76. It doesn't matter how long ago that was for you. Maybe you've even walked out the reality of that surrender over and over again in your life. I want to invite you to let the reality of God's love in this story wash over you and draw you deeper into relationship with him. 
So surrender is when we actually, you know, we consent to God's supremacy really in all things. We're embracing a willingness to actually let God be God. But truth be told, the initial surrender, while absolutely beautiful and life-transforming like nothing else, there's still parts of us that don't like that that's what we have to do. Our pride is confronted. Basically, we've got to give up on the idea that we know what's best for our lives. And parts of us still actively resist it, even though I'm surrendering. And as we continue on, we're invited into what I would call abandonment. Like what we see in Mary, that no longer holding any part of my life back from God's will. Believing that God can cover all the circumstances in my life. That it's a faith that irredeemable harm does not fall on those who are living in the hand of God. That no irredeemable harm can fall on us. And that's not where it stops. If you continue this path of following Jesus, I love the way, again, Dallas Willard then brings up another word, contentment. Contentment with the will of God, not only with his being who he is and and laying things out the way he's laid them out, but with the lot that has fallen to me in particular. That he's actually really good at planning my life. And when you begin to give in contentment, then gratitude and joy become normal parts of your life. And could I go on with one more word? Because that's not where it stops. The thing that we're eventually invited into is active participation with what God's doing. It's intelligent, energetic participation with what God's doing in our world. We're no longer spectators, but we get caught up in the drama, this vivid, this eternal, beautiful drama that we play an essential part. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God. I want to invite you to take the next step. To allow God's love to so permeate your life that you're willing to like take the next step, whatever that might be. That's the invitation at Christmas. Don't just keep it with you know presents under the tree. Don't just keep it with a little baby in a in a what do you call that thing? Manger. Cool. You guys are smart. I like that. You read the book. Here's the deal. I want to invite you to let God's unconditional love go deeper. It's actually the very best gift we could give one another. Christmas is the encouragement to let God's love go deeper. Jesus said this about himself in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I love this little sentence because Jesus himself said it. And it's either true or Jesus is a complete idiot. Because no good teacher, no good person says this kind of thing about themselves. Unless it's true or they're delusional. And what I've discovered, and what really thousands of others have discovered, is it's absolutely true. And so this is an invitation. It's an invitation to begin, if you've never begun, by surrendering your life to God's love. It doesn't matter church background. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. It doesn't matter even if you've prayed at some point in life. In a difficult situation, you cried out to God. As I'm talking about surrender and abandonment and contentment and participation, 
you're looking at your own life and you think, man, I'm not really there, then what I'm inviting you to do is throw your lot in with Christ. Really, throw your lot in with him and allow his love to begin to transform you. I'm talking to those of us right now in the room and online who, like, you know what? My life with God isn't quite right. I'm going to ask you to just acknowledge that and welcome his love in. And then I'm going to ask a group that wants to go deeper. You can look at that initial surrender in the rearview mirror, and you're like, man, those other words, that abandonment and contentment and participation, like, I kind of stopped. I haven't really grown as a follower of Jesus. I want the story to impact me. I want to take the next step. And so I just want us all to like think about that for a second and then begin to respond to that. So I'm going to begin by praying, and then I'm going to invite some response. So Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here right now. Thank you that God being with us didn't stop with Emmanuel. But Holy Spirit, you're here right now in this place, in this room, in whatever room we find ourselves in. And so we say, Lord, we welcome your presence right now. We welcome you. And God, I ask that you would give us a grace to just respond to you. To respond to what you're doing in our lives and your invitation. There's some of us, we're sitting here, and the truth is, we don't feel very lovely. The truth is, God, we, we, don't, we feel unlovable. And all this talk about your unconditional love that changes everything, it, it seems like a, a bridge too far. So Holy Spirit, would you come right now and draw us to yourself? So as we're praying, I'm just going to invite us to begin to respond. And I'm going to invite you to respond just by standing up wherever you happen to be. If you're at a place today where you want to surrender to God's unconditional love for the very first time, Maybe something's been in the way, there's never been an opportunity before, but as I talk through what that means, as we've looked at that from some scriptures, as we've sang about that, like for whatever reason, now you want to do that. I'm inviting you to throw your lot in with Christ, to allow his love in. And it's just a really simple act right now in this place of just standing up right where you're at. God, I want to invite your love in. And we're going to go on with some other invitations in just a moment, but to begin with, if you've never surrendered to God's love, just stand up right now, right where you're at. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now and allow us to experience what you have for us? Just come, Lord. We welcome you. We thank you for your presence here. There's others of us who, like, you know what? I began that journey, but I've kind of stalled out. I haven't really gone anywhere with that. And when you talk, Michael, about abandonment and contentment and participation, like, I, I want that. 
How do I begin to walk in it? I'm going to invite you to stand up right now if that's you. It's like you've surrendered to God's love in the past, but I'm inviting you into something deeper and you realize I haven't really gone that direction. If that's you, and you want to just right now, during this Christmas Eve, say, God, I want to follow you in that. Just right now, stand up where you're at. Maybe it's an abandonment. I realize that I'm still trying to control my life. I'm still trying to do it my way. Or maybe it's like, you know what? I've not been content with what God's doing in my life. I've been constantly trying to rearrange and make things better and almost never coming to him. Or I've never seen myself as an active participant, and I want to do that. If that's you right now, just go ahead and stand up right where you're at. Father, would you give us courage in this moment to just respond to you? Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. God bless you guys. I'll wait a couple more minutes. Just let God speak to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, we welcome your presence into our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross for us so that we could have relationship with the God who made us with your Father. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and would you allow us that intimate, experiential, moment-by-moment relationship with you where we are drawn into life with you in a very tangible, real way. Lord, we don't want to just watch what's going on like a movie. We want to participate in this drama that you've invited us into. And so, Lord Jesus, would you come? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to sing Silent Night together. And um, if you surrendered your life to Christ, you put your confidence, your faith in him for the first time, we have by the door some little packets uh, that you can take with you that have like a little Bible, and it talks about what relationship with God is like. We're going to sing a couple songs, and after that you can feel free to make your way out. You can grab something more to drink in the lobby. And as you do, I would grab one of those packets if you surrendered your life to Christ for the first time today and so that we can kind of walk alongside you uh, in that journey. All right, silent night. Mm -hmm.